Gamel. Camel, foot, gather, walk. And Charlie says that this is the best section of this psalm to read before reading the Bible. So let's see. Do good to your servant, and I will live. I will obey your word. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. I am a stranger on earth. Do not hide your commands from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. You rebuke the arrogant who are accursed and who stray from your commands. Remove from me scorn and contempt, for I keep your statutes. No rulers sit together and slander me. Your servant will meditate on your decrees. Your statutes are my delight. They are my counselors. Okay. All right. And let's see. We have uh, somebody sent something. I don't know what. Uh, okay. Well, I'm not going to worry about that. Let's see here. We got a couple prayer requests. Graham over in Scotland. You know, it's typical of the world. I try to tell people, keep keep your children from going to public school and keep them away from the world. Uh, his granddaughter is getting into the world and has been sharing with her little sister uh, on the internet and uh, these websites that are not healthy, he said. It's uh, pulling her away from the Bible and from family life. So, uh, you know, just keep, keep talking to the children while they're young because it's so easy to get pulled away into the world. So uh, pray for Graham and his ability to uh, talk to his granddaughters about this particular thing. Then Claudia is hoping to be back here in Sarasota, or actually in uh, Bradenton. She's found a place to live, and she wants to move in by 13 June. And she says, please have everybody pray about this. Uh, that's what she'd like to do. She got the job. I don't know if I told you she had applied for a job. She got it. So she's going to be, uh, uh, I don't know if I can say it. You know, I don't want to give it away until uh, everything's confirmed. But she told me she got the job. And then uh, Jonathan Ryu's dad is on his just he's not going to last much longer he lost his mom uh, just last year i believe it was and now his dad is uh, I, his dad i think is still in the jehovah's witnesses and has not committed to christ and so it's stressful on him and he'd ask for prayer about that and then lastly um you know austin that's always here at the class the young man oh, that's yeah nice quiet young man yeah. last week i got home from uh class and when i was just turning on the computer to get the video going and everything. I checked the emails really quickly, and there's an email from Austin. He says, I'm on my way to Texas. He's uh, with, leaving the Coast Guard, which you know, but they're going to allow it in Texas, and his mom's grandmother's got a place over there, and so he is separating in Texas, and then he is going to be uh, uh, staying to help his grandmother on a farm or something. And so uh, he, he still wants to go to seminary he still wants to uh, become a preacher hopefully but uh, we want to keep Austin in prayer so we get those prayer requests and so Heavenly Father uh, you heard those things and so many other things that are on our hearts and in our minds we've got a wedding coming up and we would certainly pray that that would be something that will be a real blessing to the folks that are getting married and the family members and the church and Lord we uh, also have other things that are distracting us, that are pulling us away from a close relationship with you or maybe uh, causing family troubles. Lord, whatever they are, we certainly lift up the people that uh, are having such times in their lives and we would pray that you would be with them and help them to continue to focus on your word even through these trying times. And Lord, we thank you for this class. 
We pray that it'll go without any uh, uh, error in doctrine, but uh, Lord, we leave that in your hands, that if there is something wrong, that you will help us to uh, correct it so that we would not have something incorrect in this particular class where the, the Bible is being carefully and uh, uh, just meticulously analyzed, but not with any error. Help us in this, Lord. And Lord, we uh, thank you. We thank you for every good and kind blessing that comes from your open hand of grace. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So we have... Um, uh, what is it today? It's the 2nd? 2nd. 2nd. 2nd of June. Okay, we're already... I can't believe we're in June. Yes. Years. We're into the sixth month of the year already. Yeah. It's just, just flying right along. Happy I've got Christmas. a... Yeah, that's coming soon. We got a brother. You got that four up there wrong for Sunday. That's What's it? Sunday's the fifth. I didn't write. That's not my handwriting. Oh, so no. I'm I'm just gonna let that go and not I'm not gonna get into any fights with Al. I'm kidding. Of course I'll I'll correct it. But yeah, that's. I thought um, that until I came in. So. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you said that because on Sunday I would have looked at it and I said, well, it's four June, and then everybody'd be like, what are you talking about? So. Okay, six June it is. Uh, the seeds of evangelism. Bear fruit in God's time, not man's. Pioneer missionary Ad Adoniram Judson graduated from Brown, user, excuse me, from Brown University as a valedictorian at the age of 19, and in 1810 graduated the first class of Andover Theological Seminary. He and his wife journeyed from America to Burma, now Myanmar arriving in 1813. I bet you that was a wild place back then. Wow. Shortly thereafter, they were joined by two other missionaries. However, after six years of labor, not one Burmese had trusted in Christ. Then on June 6, 1819, why am I reading June 6? I'm supposed to be reading June 4th. I'm going to go back and we're going to start again. We're going to do it right this time. Two, June two. Okay, whatever. See, I, that's what happens when you, I, you know, I was turning to the right day, and then you went and interrupted me. I'm blaming you on this. Okay, it is now June second. Okay, we're starting all over again, and I got somebody to blame for this. God changes lives in unexpected ways. Okay, a group of Jews in Jerusalem in A.D. 35 made false accusations against Stephen, a deacon in the church. They successfully stirred up the people into an angry mob. Hey, we're doing this in our commentary right now. Uh, Stephen had dragged him away to appear before the Sanhedrin. There, a young Pharisee by the name of Saul witnessed both the false accusations and Stephen's defense of his faith in Jesus the Messiah. Later, when the Jewish mob dragged Stephen out of the city to stone him, they threw their coats at Saul's feet for safekeeping as they picked up their stones to throw at Stephen. Saul not only supported Stephen's murder, but later became the chief persecutor of Christians. 22 years later, and of course these days are all speculative because they don't know this for certain, but they say on June 2nd, AD 57, the tables were turned and Saul was in Stephen's shoes. Saul by then no, known as Paul was the one falsely accused in Jerusalem by a group of Jews from the Roman province of Asia. Finding Paul in the temple, they shouted, men of Israel, help. This is the man who teaches against our people and tells everybody to disobey the Jewish laws. He speaks against the temple and he even defiles it by bringing Gentiles in. This time it was Paul who was attacked by a Jewish mob and he then must give his defense. Paul began his defense with the same words Stephan had used. 
Brothers and esteemed fathers, listen to me. Paul explained, I am a Jew born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, and I was brought up and educated here in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. As his, at his feet, I learned to follow our Jewish laws and customs very carefully. I became very zealous to honor God in everything I did, just as all of you are today. And I persecuted the followers of the way, hounding some to death, binding and delivering both men and women to prison. The high priest and the whole council of leaders can testify that this is so. For I received letters from them to our Jewish brothers in Damascus, authorizing me to bring Christians from there to Jerusalem in chains to be punished. As I was on the road nearing Damascus about noon, a very bright light from heaven suddenly shone around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, sir? I asked. And he replied, I am Jesus of Nazareth, the one you are persecuting. The people with me saw the light, but didn't hear the voice. I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord told me, get up and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that you are to do. I was blinded by the intense light and had to be led into Damascus by my companions. Just as Stephen's defense had caused a riot, so did the words of Paul. The crowd shouted, away with such a fellow, kill him. He isn't fit, fit to live. And just as the men of Jerusalem had thrown off their coats at Saul's feet before stoning Stephen, they now threw off their coats and tossed handfuls of dust into the air in rage against Paul. Fortunately for Paul, the Roman soldiers saved him that day from being killed by the angry mob. Paul's encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ changed him from Saul, the persecutor, into Paul, the persecuted. The change in Paul's life brought persecution upon him. Have you ever been persecuted for your faith? If you have, how did you react to it? When persecution comes, how precious it is to know that God blesses the persecuted. And they cite Matthew 5:10. God blesses those who are persecuted because they live for God, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Okay, so there we go. We're, uh, we're uh, ready with that. We've already prayed. We've got, okay, I guess we can get started. Hang on a second here. We're in Philippians, and we're going to start in chapter 4 today. Philippians chapter 4. You ready? I hope so. I'm supposed to make that into a six, not a five. Yes, I'm ready. I was waiting for you to read. There go. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Okay, this one says, Therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Okay, so here we have Paul. He's opening up the final chapter of the book, and I don't have my notes out, so now we do. Okay, 4-1. Paul has just been speaking of the resurrection of our earthly bodies and their being conformed to Christ's glorious body. With that thought still in mind, chapter 4 begins with, therefore. As always, when encountering a therefore, one must go back and see what it is therefore. That's right. In this case, as noted, he is summing up the thought of the resurrection. From that, he now provides practical advice concerning this issue. In this, he is amazingly consistent. He followed the same pattern in both Romans and in 1 Corinthians. Immediately after speaking of the resurrection in these books, he penned for us the following. I'll start in, whoops. All right, I'm going to start in Romans chapter 12. 
Hang on here. I got stuff falling all over the place. Thank you. Mm. All right. Let's see here. Romans, I've dropped four things in the past two minutes. Now she just dropped two. So, okay. Um, Romans. almost even. Yeah, we're, we're getting, <laughs> we're just having this place fall apart. Okay. Romans 12, 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Okay, and then in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he does the exact same thing. He goes uh, 115, and then we're going to go to verse 18 when I get there. Uh, let's see here. Um, 18, then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have Perished. Why did I say that? 1 Corinthians 15, 18. Okay, well, not sure. Uh, let's see here. He follows the same pattern. Immediately after speaking of the resurrection, he penned. Okay, there you go. That's why. In this beginning of his practical application, he states, My beloved and longed for brethren. That's Paul's words here. Um, Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. It is a touching note of endearment, which is all the more necessary based on what he will instruct for them in the coming two verses. They are in his heart, and they are brethren in the Lord. And for this reason, it is for his comfort and for their favor to accept his words as they will be given. The words longed for, Paul's words, longed for, certainly are based on his current status as a man in chains. His inability to come to them personally has only pulled his heartstrings anymore. We'll read that again so you know what I was just uh, saying. Therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren my joy and crown. Okay, so he longs for them. He's in chains. He's in prison. And so he's saying that they are his longed for people, probably based on the fact that he is in prison. His inability to come to them personally has only pulled his heartstrings even more. The word for longed for is epipotitas. It is found only here in scripture and it signifies to long for with great affection. Okay, he next calls them my crown my joy and my crown. Again, he uses words and ideas which he uses elsewhere. Two examples of such honorific words are found in 1 Corinthians 9.2. Okay, let me take you there. Galatians 2 and then 1 Corinthians 11.10.9 and verse 2. I'll start with 1. Am I not apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to you, to others, yet doubtless I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. And then in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 9, he says the following. 1 Thessalonians, oh, let's see here, that's 2. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 9, he says, For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preached to you the gospel of God. Okay, I'm not sure what kind of an honorific is in there about them, but uh, let me see if I have the wrong verse here. Anyway, um, I obviously had something on my mind, but I'm not seeing an honorific in uh, 1 Thessalonians 2. Oh, 219, it helps to read the right verse. I was reading verse 29. And that's not the verse that I had referenced. So we're going to go back and we're going to go to 1 Thessalonians 2.19. And it says, for, oh yeah, of course, for what is our hope 
or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For you are our glory and our joy. So you've got joy and crown and all these words that he keeps using repeatedly towards those people that he uh, uh, is ministering to or writing his epistles to. So uh, let's see, let me make a note here. For, for the Philippians, they are his joy even in suffering and his crown which awaits in glory. The work that he has done and the fruit which has been realized through his labors make both of these things true. And because of this, and because of his hopes for this to continue in them, he next says, so stand fast in the Lord. Okay, he's already talked about walking in the Lord. He's talked about making your stand. He, he uses all of these metaphors, which are become obvious. The more you read the Bible, the more it makes sense. But I'll read the, it again. It says, my long for brethren, my joy, my crown. So stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Okay, stand fast in the Lord. These words certainly are given because of the hope of the resurrection. Okay, and uh, that would be, uh, but they are exhortations based on the content of all of chapter 3. Stand fast in the Lord. Uh, when somebody emails me and they have a problem of some type, and it doesn't matter what it is. It could be family problems. It could be, you know, work problems. It could be, you know, I'm struggling in my faith because of this or that. And I try to, may not say those exact words, but keep your eyes on Jesus. Stand fast in the Lord. Be fixed and firm in your thinking about him. Everything that we're going through right now is temporary. It, you know, it may be sad. It may be difficult. It may be painful, whatever it is. But by focusing on the Lord and what I just said there, where was that? Um, uh, the content of uh, they're given because of the hope of the resurrection. If you have the understanding of the hope of the resurrection, Christ has already gone that path and God has promised you that you will go that path, then you shouldn't have to worry about the things of this world. It doesn't take away the pain in the, in the present. It doesn't take away the, you know, the sadness of the loss or the, you know, the trouble between the wife or the parents or whatever. That's all still there. But you can endure through it if you remember the hope of the resurrection. He died. He was resurrected. He promises that we too will follow him. So everything that happens in this world, it doesn't matter how difficult it is, we have something better ahead. And quite often, even in this life, the pains and the sadness that we do experience will be replaced with joy because he doesn't want us just to be miserable until the day we die. He wants us to experience joy in this life. And it does come. It, there, you know, I know lots and lots of people that have had real great sadnesses in their life and they have been delivered from those things in this life because God was good enough to send a new person into their life or a new job into their life. Uh, you know, Bruce out in Missouri, here he lost his job just after they moved to Missouri. They've had all kinds of problems with difficult things in their life and they, he loses his job because, you know, the company is restructuring. And so now what do you do? And within just a very short time, he doesn't just get a job offer. He gets a better job offer than what he had inquired about to begin with. And so the Lord is directing our lives, and we need to remember that. It's not a promise that everything is going to go well. You know, I'll give you an example of that. Here's an example of things that may go well right now, and then they, don't worry, I got it. They may go well right now, but at the same time, uh, they may not next time. But this morning, here's an example of this. This chair is, I've got to get a new chair. This thing is really just falling to pieces. Anyway, um, I was at 7-Eleven this morning, and I 
took care of the mall, did some painting, and picked up all the garbage over there, and et cetera. And then I got to 7-Eleven to, to do the work there. And when I was walking in there, I'm picking up all the cigarette butts and all the garbage people throw down every day. And I am, uh, uh, I hear some guys, they're over by the, you know, where you fill up your tire by the road. They have that little station garbage can there and all that kind of stuff where you, you take care of your car kind of away from the store. Most stores have them. And they're usually out closer to the road. And there, there's these two guys out there and they got a pickup truck in us. And it's going on for about four or five minutes. And right when I got there, they were doing it. And I said, oh, I should go over and see if they need help. And if they don't get it started, I'll go over and help them. And so I'm picking up some more cigarette butts and I'm going, you know, rearrange all the water they're selling out front, these big things of water, because people just, they'll like pull one out of the middle and all of them will collapse in on each other. It's just stupid things people do. So I, I make the display nice for them and all that. And I'm doing, okay, and so it's still happening. And I walk over and clean the garbage cans. You know, they have those things, put the cigarette in the top and then the little door you throw your garbage in. It always gets filled with goo. So I always clean those up, making it nice. And and then I, I uh, uh, have to take the mats, you know, the big heavy mats out front. They're just full of sand every day because we're on the beach. And so I go and shake one of them off and it's, they're just not getting that thing started. And I can hear the battery is going down. And so, you know, I get the second mat and I shake that one off, go back in and then, so I walk over there and I said, uh, it's not working, is it? And they're both Mexican guys. One of them didn't speak any English. And he looked at me like, what does this guy want? You know, I got a beard, I got no shoes on. I look like I'm, and he's like, but the other guy spoke English. So he knew I was just trying to help with the car. I said, you know, has, has it done it before? He says, yeah, it's, it's had this problem before. And uh, so I said, well, um, if you need a battery, you know, a boost, I've got cables in my car and we can work it out. And he says, all right, I, he, they were like, this isn't going to work. You know, they just know this car and it's not going to work. And I said, well, let's just have a prayer. And so uh, I said, do you know Jesus? Yeah. I said, well, let's have a prayer together. And the other guy, he caught right on to that. We get a little huddle and, and I'm not claiming anything, you know, Lord, if you know somebody that can fix this car, please send them by. These guys need to get to work. And I said, but you know, if you want to fix this car for them so they can get to work, we would be happy about that right now. And uh, whatever you determine, Lord, we'll put it in your hands. But uh, just give these guys the patience to get through this. And that was basically it. And so I walk over to take to the other garbage can, the one outside. And uh, they, they were waiting for me to walk far enough away because I think they were grabbing their lunches and getting ready to just walk to work wherever it was. And it's only a couple miles to the end of the island, so it wouldn't have been far. But one of them kind of like points at the other guy, let's try it one more time. He prayed for us. And so he gets in there and boom! And I gave him the, the arms up victory, right? And then I got home and I thought, you know, I hope they don't turn into charismatics and, mm -hmm. you know, because it, it, it's not gonna, the whole point of what I'm saying is it's not going to happen every time. The Lord was good. He got them to work, but they need to get that car fixed. They need to take it and get it fixed. So I hope that they will use the wisdom of the moment and say, you know, this has happened before and we almost didn't get to work this morning. And, uh, uh, you know, but at the same time, I don't know if they were thinking about thanking the Lord or not. And so I said, Lord, I'll thank you for them because it was obvious that car was going nowhere, but it got going. The whole point of this, though, is that there are times where what we want doesn't happen. And we need to remember that, that there are times where the Lord, will, and I am certain, there, there's nothing to make me think 
anything other than the Lord got their car going for them. Right. It's a demonstration of his goodness in this world. If somebody's willing to just pray, and they were, then I will, you know, respond in kind. Okay, so the car started right up, and they, you know, kind of jumped out of the parking lot. It's not a great car, but anyway, um, uh, there you go. That That's the lesson from that. I know that took a while, but... Um, I was very happy to see them leaving the parking lot because otherwise, you know, if they started walking away, I know that the guy probably would have had him towed. What's his car out here all day? And, right. you know, so yeah. it, it would, everything would have gone just from bad to worse for those poor guys. So anyway, stand, fanning, stand fast in Christ. That is the point there. He wants them to stand in Christ and not get drawn into, in this case, legalism through an insertion of the law, nor get drawn into license by assuming grace allows and promotes sin. Now, I brought that up either one or two weeks ago, and I was thinking about that all this week, okay? We do not want ever for somebody to say, well, you teach eternal salvation, and so you are teaching license to sin, okay? Remember I brought that up, is that people will say that. If, oh, if you're teaching eternal salvation, a person can't lose their salvation, then that means you're promoting license to sin because anybody can do anything and they're still saved. And as I said, that is true. God has covenanted with you and he will save you. He saved you and he will save you. But that does not mean that Paul or me or anybody else that teaches the doctrine of eternal salvation promotes license to sin. Correct. He does not. And I've got it right here in this commentary. Paul has it in his own writings. And my writings are based on Paul's writings. We are saved because God was kind enough to save us. He didn't send Jesus into the world to save us just to take away our salvation when we mess up, okay? And when we completely walk away from the Lord, we're forgetting, you know, the goodness of his salvation for us. We're the ones that will suffer the consequences of that. But he will not neglect his covenant promises. And as I say, week after week after week, all we need to do is look at Israel. They covenanted with him. He covenanted with them. They were never faithful, not from the first month that they saw his glory. They heard him speaking out the Ten Commandments. They broke the covenant with him, okay? That was within, certainly within a month of uh, him going up on the mountain, okay? And from that point on, all the way through their history, all they did was fail him, all the way through their history. If anybody had a right to be cast out of the presence of the Lord, it is Israel. And yet he has faithfully kept them as a people because he did what? Because he covenanted with them. It wasn't just that they agreed, he agreed. It is his glory that is on trial, or that is on stake, I guess I should say. It's not on trial, but it is his glory that is to be maintained. When we fail him, he will never fail us, okay? Because he covenanted with us. He will not for reject us. Namesake. For his that's what I was trying to think of. Thank you. For his name's sake. It is about his glory. It is about his name. When his name is on something, it is permanent. When our name is on something, it's bound to fail, okay? If you don't believe that, go make a uh, agreement with somebody about land somewhere in the middle of Florida. You're bound to, you know, it's bound to not work out. But God is not like that. He is not going to renege on a deal. He's never going to do anything like that. He will keep his end of the bargain, even when we don't. Okay, so don't get caught into legalism through insertion of the law. Don't get caught into license by assuming grace allows and promotes sin. Paul 
really deals with that in Romans 8. Shall I sin, therefore, to increase God's you know, holiness or whatever, or uh, grace, I guess he says. He says, may it not be so. May it never be. No way. No way. Whatever. Um, it, it, that is not something that Paul entertains. But he does understand that it can happen. You know, people will act that way, but that is not the intention of saving people is to allow or promote sin. With this in mind, he again calls them beloved to close out this particular verse, verse 4-1. The scholar Bengal notes that this word is twice used with great sweetness, first as at the beginning of the period, and then for the strengthening of the exhortation. Bengal, he uses very short pithy little statements and they're always very profound, okay? Life application. Because of our hope in the resurrection, we should be all the more willing to stand fast in the Lord. How often this is turned completely around. We tend to think, I'm on the heavenly highway and so I don't need to worry about my actions as much. This is a 180 degree turn from what is actually appropriate, okay? We need to think about it more, not less. We need to not you know, presume grace just because we have received grace, but we ought to say, you know what, I'm thankful for what the Lord did. I appreciate it and I'm going to live for him. And that'll come at varying degrees and at different ways in people's lives. No doubt about it, okay? Different people are going to respond differently to grace at the beginning, or they may, uh, you know, hardly respond to it at all, and then all of a sudden during their life they'll suddenly realize, I can't really believe what he did. I knew that he had died for me, but now I understand the magnitude of it. For some reason, they have an epiphany or something happens in their life and they get on fire for the Lord, whatever, okay? But we have to keep mentally reminding ourselves of this because it's so easy to, to let life pull our eyes away from what the Lord has done for us. It's so easy. So try to remember that. Try to just keep focused on what Christ is, has done for you and to strive forward every single day, day after day after day. Strive forward. Okay, 4-2. I plead with Iodia and I plead with Sintichi? Sintiki. Sintiki. To agree with each other in the Lord. Okay, this one says to be of the same mind in the Lord, which means the same thing, okay? It's not, not really any difference between the two. To agree with one another is to be of the same mind, okay? There was obviously a dissension in the church between these two women, Euodia and Syntyche. Nothing more is known about these ladies than that they were known personally by Paul, that they labored with him in the gospel, and that they were not in agreement over some particular issue. You know, you will often find people write books, entire books about something like that. Yodia and Syntyche and their struggles in life. And that's fine. If they wanted to write a little book about it and, you know, make it into a novel, that's okay. But if they start claiming that this is what happened, all we have is what's written right there. That's it. This is all the information we have on them. And so we have to just kind of uh, if we're going to go too much into a commentary, uh, it's going to end up in speculation. So nothing more is known about these ladies than that they were known personally by Paul and that they labored with him in the gospel, that they were not in agreement over some particular issue, and speculation as to their position, if any, in the church is without merit. Okay? Like I said, people will get into all kinds of commentaries about things that they have to insert them into the word or they'll write books about things like this that it 
whatever. Okay, Paul implores each of them individually. I implore Euodia and I implore Syntyche. This is especially stated so that neither is elevated above the other as if one was in the wrong and Paul was siding with the other. Okay, if he had said, I implore Euodia to, and then later just kind of introduce Syntyche, then it would show that he thinks that Syntyche is in the wrong or whatever. So he says it, both of them. And probably he picked Euodia first because she begins with an E and Syntyche begins with an S. Okay, he's just sticking by the alphabet. He's not showing any favoritism here. All right, this is especially stated so that neither is elevated above the other as if one was wrong and Paul was siding with the other. It could be that either one or both were in the wrong. No matter what, Paul was not taking sides but was simply asking them to drop their feud and to be of the same mind. These words mean that they should be united in the cause and reconciled over what has divided them. Okay, there, it's one of the things that I find as hard as anything else is to either help people get over divisions between each other or if I have a problem with somebody to get over it, okay? It just is difficult. And eventually you would say, you know, there are people that I've had an argument with that I still think about every single day. I wish I hadn't said what I said here. I wish I had done this differently, okay? And Paul is trying to get them to do that in advance so that it doesn't become a division where they never talk to each other or something like that. This is what happens, and Paul is just giving us kind of his own admonition in writing in an epistle which is in the Word of God to show us that this is what we should be trying to do. Now, having said that, this comes from Paul who got in an argument with Barnabas. Barnabas. And there is no record in Scripture that they ever reconciled. The person they argued over, there is. They argued over Mark, right? And later in his epistles, he tells, you know, Mark is useful to me, okay? But there's no record of it, and God purposefully left that out of Scripture. If they were reconciled two days later, wouldn't have been two days because they both went on different missionary journeys, but we'll say two years later. If they were reconciled, it is not in the Word of God. We have nothing to indicate to us that they did. And I think that was purposeful by God to show us that some people do not reconcile and that you're not going to lose your salvation over that, but you, it should not be the standard. The standard should be to try to reconcile, to be of one mind, and to get through these things. And like I said, there are people that I have not agreed with on something and it's led to a division, and to this day, I feel bad about it. Okay, if it's doctrinal, I don't feel nearly as bad about it. I got to tell you that. If something is, this person is just doctrinally unsound and he's been told once, he's been told twice, what does Paul say? Have nothing more to do with him. That's it. You have told him what is proper. The, the word is clear on these particular issues. He doesn't want to court, you know, to stop beating whatever his bad doctrine is over people. He's unwilling to listen. Tell him once, tell him twice, and then have nothing to do with him. The person is divisive is what Paul says, okay? So, yes? Don't you think maybe Paul was in the wrong at this once because he took Barnab or John Mark back later? That's what the, the argument was over to begin with. Right, so, but what are you saying? Um, he, Barnabas ch chose John Mark and they went one way. Right. And, and, and Paul went another, but later he took John Mark back. Okay, so you're saying he was wrong by doing that? No, no that they might have, they might have rectified it to, to behind to the scenes. John Mark. 
for not being faithful to begin what he thought he was not being faithful. I can say that again because he said something and I don't know if it matched what you were talking about. Different angles. Go ahead. Okay. John Mark had a different perspective to begin with. He right. didn't agree with him, but later he did bring him back into the service. But the him. argument wasn't with John Mark. The yeah, argument was with John Barnabas. Okay. That's right. Barnabas said, I want him to go with us. That's Barnabas right. Said, no, I don't want him to. Okay, so what's your point, though? I, I don't know what you're saying. He later reconciled with John Mark. Right. So yeah. so what's your point? That, that he should have, you know, gave him leeway to begin with. Mm -hmm. Or... Well, they rectified I, it, and then they got together because they, they, they that was the whole issue right there. Yeah, but, but the fact, see, it doesn't say that. It doesn't that. say that. It doesn't say that. And so I, I, I am not ever going to say anything about reconciliation between Paul and Barnabas because that doesn't say well, that. I understand. But with John, the point was that Paul didn't want John Mark to go with them. That's right. And Barnabas did. Yeah. And so the point is that they got in an argument. Now, Paul isn't saying that John Mark wasn't useful at that point. He was saying that he was not appropriate for the mission. That could have been a totally separate issue. And once again, I'd, I'm not going to insert anything into that account. In other words, Paul might have said, well, you know, if we're going to stay in Antioch, he's fine, but he's not geared for missionary work. So I don't know. All we know is that Paul didn't want him to go because he said he left them during the travels yeah. that time. Okay, that was the reason. But I don't think that means that Paul didn't agree with Mark and everything. I think it just means that he didn't want him traveling with him, okay? And I would agree with that. There are people that I would never travel with, ever. I can tell you one of them right here. I won't say his name out loud, but you both, well, no, both of you know who, if I said it after class, you'd laugh about it. I would never travel with him because you wouldn't get two minutes of sleep. They would just be going blah, 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 okay? So uh, having said that, all right, it's fine if he wanted to come over and fix something at my house. I just would leave the house while he's fixing it. So that, but you see what I'm saying is that in he that instance, King's name, then, didn't he? Uh, uh, listen, I don't know. All I know is that there there are people that you can do some things with, but that you can't do other things with them. And the issue was traveling with him. And so I don't know. Okay. And so I don't want to make that conclusion is that Paul, you know, took him back over an issue that didn't exist. He may have taken him back over a separate issue, okay? Or maybe there was never any problem between Paul and John Mark except traveling together. So I don't know. I, I see what you're saying now. I wasn't cluing in what you were saying, but I don't know that, and so I don't want to insert into it. Yeah, okay. Anyway, um, uh, these words here, I'm going to read the last sentence again. No matter what, Paul was not taking sides, but was simply asking them to drop their feud and to be of the same mind. These words mean that they should be united in the cause and reconciled over what has divided them. And to solidify this, he adds the words, in the Lord. They should not only be united, but united in Christ Jesus. That's the main thing. And, you know, th that kind of goes back to what we were talking about with John Mark there. You know, they may have had the same mind in the Lord, but he just didn't think he was qualified to, to do the traveling. I don't know. So, you know... All I know is that Paul later found Mark acceptable, but there is no record of Barnabas. To me, that's the main thing, is that I think the Lord is telling us that these things do arise. And, you know, the word that was used between Paul and uh, Barnabas is paroxysm. It was, it was almost a battle. It's a, it, it was a very, very vehement strife between them. So they weren't just, you know, having a little bit of a disagreement. They were really, really angry at each other. And so, Barnabas, you mean. 
Yeah, but did I, what did I say, Mark? Okay, well, I meant Barnabas. Yeah, they, they, they were actually probably almost coming to fists over it. It was, it was a bad fight, and like I said, there's no record of it being reconciled. And, you know, I can see Paul sitting there 30 years later saying, it was his fault, you know, just doing over it the way that's what I would do. You know, I, I you know, because we let pride get into us and we get, let our anger well up in us and we just carry that around for the rest of our life. And every time we think of that guy, you know, uh, uh, Billy Joe, okay, I got in an argument with him in high school in 17 and I, that guy was wrong and you're 85 years old and you're still stewing over Billy Joe, right? I'm, whatever, okay? So uh, we want to try to not do that, especially when they're in the Lord. They should not only be united, but united in Christ Jesus. If they both had their eyes, hearts, and affections on him, then their petty differences would fade into the background. Now, we would hope that would be the case. You know, like I said, there are times where I've not reconciled with people, and it bothers me. It bothers me to this day. It is of note that the verb, which is translated as to be out of mind, is found 10 times in Philippians, more than any other book. Paul uses it only 23 times in all, so almost half of the uses of that are here in the book of Philippians. And so, almost yes, almost one half of it are in this little epistle. There is a high stress on unity here. I said out of mind, it's to be of mind, okay? The word's translated as to be of mind, okay? Ten times in this one little epistle, and it shows you that he wants unity, okay? Especially with the people at Philippi. Okay, as a note, the name Euodia, not Euodias, as some versions incorrectly state. You may have a version that says Euodius, okay? This is a female. It is not a male, okay? As will be seen from verse 2. So if your Bible, King James Version people, if your Bible says Euodius, you can pen in the correction. You have an error in your version, okay? This is a female. Life application. Are you a divider or one who unites? And even if you are not a divider, can you get caught up in, or are you caught up in division? It is time to put the petty aside and strive forward with Christ as your only true passion. In doing so, all other things will find their proper place. Now, we had somebody in the class here before we started today say, I really like the superior word because it's a small church and she said there are no clicks. And that makes her so happy because you get into bigger churches and there's often these cliques where people, you got these people that sit over there and they're not going to talk to those people on that side over there if it kills them, okay? And so we're, we're very blessed here because we're a very small congregation and there are not people that are siding up on here and siding up here and it is nice, okay? And I agree with that. Division is not a happy thing within a church. But it happens and the bigger the church is, Division is bound to happen, okay? So, uh, read that again. It is time to put the petty aside and strive forward with Christ as your only true passion. In doing so, all other things will find their proper place. Just keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep reading the Word. Keep focusing on the Word. And you're not going to have time for dividing people up. And if you do, then you're the one that is the problem, okay? And the word, if you're focusing on this word and you understand that the people in the congregation with you are focused on the word and you're the one that keeps having problems with people, then the problem is probably with you. And you need to go into the mirror and you need to talk to the person in the mirror. Okay, that's just the way it is. And you know, Burke's over there laughing. Well, I gotta tell you, if I start having problems with a lot of people here, I'm gonna need to evaluate, is it me? 
You know, I love to joke with people. I, everybody knows that I very rarely say anything serious in my life. Okay, but that's not good. Well, no, I'm talking about in interactions with people. I'm always either razzing somebody or, or saying something, you know, and that's just the way I am. But some people don't understand that. And until they get used to that, you know, it, it may, and so they need to tell me, I, I, you know, I don't think I get that. Well, Sergio and me, all day long, we're messaging each other, and we're just like two little kids. We're always picking on each other, and, but it's always done in love. I never mean any harm with people when I say things like that. And so that's just my nature. But there's a point where you can upset somebody without even realizing it, just by being who you are. So watch those things as well. Anyway, 4-3. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Wow, you have the word yoke fellow. I like yeah, that. I, I well, want to take that and insert it here. I like that. What is um, it? What is it? Loyal Sizingus? What is it? Oh, uh, uh, so, uh, it means together with. Okay. The true companion. The true companion. Okay, yours says true companion. Yours says loyal yoke fellow. Let me read what this one says. It's verse 3, right? Yep. And I urge you also. Oh, here it is. True companion. Same as Burke. I like loyal yoke fellow. That's pretty snazzy terminology. Okay. Help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Yeah, I really like your, uh, that, that translation yoke was fellow. fun, yoke fellow. And, ah, see, I got it right here. That'll be in our commentary, 4-3. Speaking of Euodia and Syntyche of the previous verse, Paul now implores some unidentified person, here translated as true companion, to intercede, and the word is uh, suzugos. And it is only found here in the Bible. It indicates a yoke fellow or a colleague. It is wholly unknown who this person is. We have no idea, so there's no point in speculating. There are several interesting speculations, though. Okay, here's one of them. One of them is that it is Epaphroditus, who is being sent back with the letter. Now, remember, Epaphroditus is the one that a while ago he said he almost died for the sake of the gospel, and I'm sending you back, him who is my, oh no, that's Philemon, he is my very heart. The anyway, I'm sending man. him back, what? The handsome man. Yeah, okay. So, he's sending him back, and he's the one that obviously Paul wasn't a charismatic preacher because he couldn't heal him, right? He, he uh, uh, said he almost died for the sake of the gospel. Well, why didn't Paul just claim healing over him? There you go. So, um, let's see here, um, yoke fellow or colleague, it is wholly unknown who it is. Could be Epaphroditus, who is being sent back. It could also have been Luke, who was closely associated with the church at Philippi. Other names have been suggested as well. However, the word could be used as a proper name. If the name means yoke fellow, then his name could form the same type of play on words that Onesimus does in the book of Philemon. In other words, his name could be a derivative of the word yoke fellow, and so he might be making a pun. We don't know. If a proper name, it could be his given name or nickname, which was bestowed upon him by Paul and by which he had become known. So it would be like me calling um, uh, Don over here my uh, fellow uh, military buddy, something well, something you know specific to him, and so then it would become almost like a proper name, uh, you know, Mill Don or something. I, I can't think of anything right now, but anyway, you see what I'm saying. He could have given him the name, or it could be his actual name. And if you go back to Romans, remember they had some funny names. Remember one of them is Tertius 
and which I think was in here, Tertius, we have Cordus, we have all, it, one, two, three, and four are their names, okay? And that's because they were probably all in the house. They were born as servants, and so he just named them your number one, your number two, your number three, and your number four. And so the name Tertius is three, okay? Or Cordus, that is four. And so that's just how names were. That people were given a name, they were assigned it, and that's how it went. So um, if it's a proper name, it could be his given name, nickname. I said that in the end, it is all speculation and the truth is lost to history. We have no idea about it. Whoever this yoke fellow is, he is now asked to help these women. Again, it is speaking of Euodia and Syntyche. In the past, Paul notes that they labored with me in the gospel. They may have helped him financially, as the women did who were with Jesus, as is seen in Luke 8.3. Remember, it says that Jesus, these women were there, and they helped him in the ministry. Okay, The word used to describe their labor is found only here and in Philippians 1, verse 27. It means to strive together. Okay, What their labors were, whatever their labors were, it was of great, great help to Paul. So great that he put their efforts on an equal standing with his. Okay, and I've said that in class a couple times over the past couple months, probably because we're in this book. But people that do things in the church, it doesn't matter how small it seems or how big it is. It's all needed to be done in order for the church to continue. Okay, so if these people, it's, we'll just suppose that these ladies are helping him with money. Okay, he's not making enough putting together tents. The people at uh, wherever, somewhere else, aren't sending him any money. He doesn't have enough money, and these ladies help him. They kept him going. He was able to minister to the church. He was able to write his epistle to the people at the church. Whatever, okay? They are doing something that if they didn't do it, those things would not be able to happen. He's in prison right now. Somebody is helping him, okay? And so it doesn't matter what you're doing in the church. If you have a job, if you're the one that makes coffee, if you have a coffee maker at church, if you're the one that makes the coffee every Sunday morning before the people get there and they appreciate it, even if they never say a word, you're doing something, okay? Don't feel like it's an insignificant job. You know, for some people, coffee is almost life and death. So you may be actually really helping somebody out. Whatever, that was a joke, of course. Anyway, um, uh, right now, Right now, I, it may have ended today because it's Thursday and they end these on Thursday, but right now Publix is having two for one of the coffee. It's about this big. It's the best deal in coffee in America, three bucks, okay? And so you get buy one, you get one for free. Actually, it's gone up. It was 360 before, now it's 399, so I lied. It's like four if you average it up. But all the other coffees, which are all the same size, are like nine to $12 now. It's going out of sight. So. If they still have it, they're in the two-for-one section right there. They're in the blue can, and you can get half. You can get full. I'm talking about decaf. You can get uh, Colombian. You can get this and that, but it's only $3.99. So I bought buy like, one, get one. yeah, I bought a bunch of them. Hidako says, shall we buy some more? I said, Hidako, we've got enough to last an entire year. No more. But uh, that way, I know coffee's going to go up. And if, if the uh, ball drops and everybody else is not able to drink coffee, I'll still be having coffee. And then I've already got a plan. There will always be one last thing of coffee. What I'll do is I'll just go, okay, for the next week, I'm going to drink a half a cup and then a quarter of a cup and then an eighth of a cup. And I'll just wean myself off and I'll be done. Whereas most people will just suddenly have this shock to their lives. Anyway, 
I don't know what, oh, the lady making the coffee at church. She's doing her job. Okay, um, let's see here. Um, strive together. He then notes, with Clement also, that's Paul's words, and the rest of my fellow workers. He has placed these two women in a high position of note, along with all of the others who labored with them. He's trying to show that they have value, that they shouldn't be fighting among each other. I'm doing more for Paul than you are. Whatever was going on, he's trying to let them see that they are on an equal standing in value in what they were doing as these other people. Clement and all my other fellow workers. He's calling these two ladies fellow workers. Once again, though, it happened twice this week. I told you last week I had three, two within an hour, and then another one, people emailing me about uh, understanding that women are not to be ordained, and how do I bring this up to a friend? How do I bring this up to the church, which is debating this, and so on? Two more this week. This is becoming almost uh, ubiquitous in churches right now. We are now going to start ordaining women, okay? And how do I tell people that this is not appropriate? I don't know why it's suddenly coming so quickly. I don't know if pastors are starting to leave and they need to fill things, or I don't know what the reason is, but it, five times in just a week and a half, I have now been asked this exact same question. So I'm glad I kept it this time, and I just, here, I typed that up. I don't have to type it up anymore. It's all just on a document. But um, just because he says that they're fellow workers and they're doing something does not mean that that means they can be ordained. And his words are prescriptive. They are church age doctrine. People keep saying, well, Paul, you know, he was writing in a cultural context. Or, you know, how do we know that what Paul says is the only thing that's out there? Because it's the only, only thing that's there. out there. He gives the instructions for ordination within the church. Nobody else does. He gives the instruction. This is the law of God for running a church. If you want to violate that, that's your business. Go ahead and do it. But this is what the law of God, the word of God says. Anyway, okay, um, read this again. Clement is speculated by some to be Clement, Bishop of Rome. This goes all the way back to the time of origin. Others dismiss this as unlikely. However, he is singled out by name here as being a great help to Paul. And he is acknowledged as such. He finishes with noting that these women along with the others he refers to, have their names in the book of life. This is not to be taken as a literal book, which is in heaven. People will do this. They'll write all kinds of commentaries about the book of life, and they get into all kinds of analysis based on what Moses says and based on what Revelation says, etc. Okay, it's not in heaven, which is pen and ink. That's not what's going on here. Rather, it is a state in which these people stood metaphorically identified as a book of remembrance before the Lord, okay? The Lord doesn't have, here's the point, he doesn't have this big book and he's not writing down Jim's name and he's not going to scratch it out here and there, okay? This is a metaphor that Paul is using, just like he uses metaphors all the way throughout Philippians, etc., okay? He stand therefore, walk this way. He's using these metaphors so that we can understand these things. This book of life would compare to the saying of Philippians 3, verse 20, which notes that those whose citizenship is in heaven, they have come under the blood of Christ, and they are sealed with the Spirit of God. They also are in the book of life before the Lord. Revelation 3, verse 5 says this about such people. Let me take you there to Revelation 3, verse 5. Okay, the book of life is mentioned a couple times there, but in Revelation 3, 5 it says... 
Um, start with four. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Okay, Revelation 3, 5. Jesus says that about people that are in the book of life. To overcome, what does it mean to overcome? When Jesus says it, John says it many times in uh, both in uh, his gospel and in his epistles. He says, he who overcome. What's that? Believe. That's all it means. When to overcome in Christ is to believe. Okay, if you want to see that, you can go to the Revelation commentary or the 1 John commentary, and I have it all laid out. If you just want to do a study on the word overcome, I've already done it. I can send it to you. Okay, I'll just cut, copy it and paste it to you. It's a long study, and it shows you very clearly that overcoming is faith in Jesus Christ. That is it. Okay, people get off onto way too many tangents with that, but if you just line them all up into one one document that analyzes it, you can see it very clearly. It is being saved by Jesus Christ. And when you overcome, it is done. There is no more needed to do. You are not going to lose your overcoming. You have overcome. Okay? But to overcome is to be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Such salvation, therefore, is a complete guarantee of entrance into heaven for the redeemed. 100% it is a guarantee. You don't need to worry anymore. If you have overcome because you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, who is it that overcomes? It is he. I, I'm, not, I'm going to misquote it, so I'm not going to do it right now. But that is it. And if you want it, I can send you that portion of the commentary to overcome. Life application. Paul's interest in the affairs of these women indicates his strong desire for there to be harmony and peace between believers. Although this is at times very difficult, it is what is asked of us. Okay, once again, Paul, there's nothing in the Bible about Paul reconciling with Barnabas. So it gives us the assurance that God understands these things. Even if they reconciled the next year, which we don't know, it is not recorded in there for us to, you know, it, sometimes the things that aren't recorded will tell us as much as the things that are. Okay, so uh, when you say, why isn't that there? It's probably because the Lord is trying to teach us something from that. Okay, um, uh, although it, it is very times very difficult, it is what is asked for. When strife arises, those around who are aware of it should do their best, like Paul did, to assist in the process of reconciliation. Okay, it's very easy to, especially in today's world, man, you got social media and you can defriend somebody and one second and then you never talk to them again it's very easy to cut people off in this world you know when you were in a town in uh, Massachusetts in the 1700s you were in that town probably for the rest of your life and the people that you were around you were going to be around and if you were going to divide for you know for the rest of your life with the person you're going to see them every Sunday in church you're going to see them you know in every little community thing I mean it's not that easy to do but today it's easy to do. 8,000 churches in Sarasota, I'll just go to another church. I don't need to see that person anymore. It, it, and because of that, our, hard, our hearts get cold. They get hard. And it's a very easy thing to do. And then it becomes easier next time to cut the next person off. It's like the person that gets divorced 
and then they get divorced a second time and then a third time because every time they do it it gets easier to do it okay the first time you're thinking one thing and uh, the second time you don't care as much the next time you don't care as much and pretty soon it just becomes a part of life all right we need to not have our attitude that way we need to think that people are important and that reconciliation with people is paramount okay um, all right four four Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Okay. Rejoice. This you thing are just. I am all over the place today. <laughs> all right. Literally. I bet you this says exactly the same thing. Yes. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. It's not like you can get a lot of translational yeah. difference out of those words. Okay. Although it's funny how you can look at um, the, the translational differences that come in some verses, which are very short are simply amazing. We've seen that in, uh, you know, going through the uh, books of Moses and I'll lay out 10 different translations and they're all completely mm -hmm. different, okay? Um, and coming up in Sunday's sermon, it's going to be from Acts 26. It'll be Acts 26, verse 6, I think. Anyway, coming up in Sunday's sermon, I am going to bring up a uh, question that was, that arose in that chapter, okay, somewhere in chapter uh, 26. And the amount of speculation as to what those few simple words mean goes on and on and on. And you'll see that on Sunday. I'm going to do it in a form that you're not going to understand what I'm saying because normally I'll explain what I'm saying and I'll give you the verse and all that. This is going to be completely different. Okay, it's, it's going to be completely different. So unless you follow along in writing, you may not even understand what I'm doing from the Bible. But you'll get the overall. It's just going to be a little different than what I normally do. And there's a reason for that. And then we'll go through four of those type of sermons, all four different in content, way different. And then we're going to be on back into Joshua because I want to go forward. I, I want to just keep going in the Bible. But this is as a, uh, uh, it's something that a friend asked me to do. And I said, okay, we're going to do that. But I'm not going to do a lot of them. Okay, so I picked four verses out of Acts 26 and uh, just a couple of words from Acts 26. You won't believe the amount of difference in speculation as to what is being said. Okay. Do you want to know what those words are, or do you want to wait until Sunday? I'll leave it up to you because you're the... Give them. Okay, I'm going to give you the words. Um, let me go to Acts 26. Burke always reads the sermons. He doesn't show up for church. He just sits in his house and reads them. So, Okay, let's see here. We're going to go to Acts 10. Acts, uh, and you've already said them. You've, you've already quoted these words uh, once today, or maybe it was me. We were talking, and... Uh, uh, here, here's it's how it begins. It's just uh, let me see here. Acts 28, Acts 26, and he says um, uh, for this. Okay, here it is. Acts 26, verse 28. Then Agrippa said to Paul, "You almost persuade me to become a Christian." Okay, you won't believe the amount of differences that people have concerning those few words. Okay, so here we go. Four, four. Uh, rejoice. Paul says, um, where is it? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Paul now returns to the words of verse 3, 1. Finally, my brethren, he says, rejoice in the Lord. The theme of joy which flows from Paul's pen is an exhortation for all to not merely rejoice, but to rejoice in the Lord. He has just given stern warnings concerning the mutilators of the flesh and living in the flesh for this world as opposed to living in the spirit in anticipation of the next. 
After that, he noted the division between Euodia and Syntyche. Certainly, each of these points would lead to or be the cause of a lack of joy. However, Paul would have it otherwise for them. And not only were they to rejoice in the Lord, but they were to do it always. The only way that this would be possible would be to fall back on his warnings from the previous chapter and to, and to press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. With this as their constant goal, they would truly be able to rejoice in the Lord always. And I can't think of any other way to do that other than to have that as your goal. Press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. If you are willing to do that, to press towards that goal and keep your eyes on that mark, then you will be able to rejoice in the Lord always. If you're in a prison in Iran because of your faith in Jesus Christ and the conditions are deplorable, the food is horrible, and so on, you still can rejoice in the Lord always if you are pressing toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. If that is what you're doing in any circumstances, no matter how bad they are, oh, you know what? One other thing, and we'll, we'll uh, I'll just want to get this out right now while it's on my mind. Um, Lisa Bunker, who is in Wayne, New Jersey, she called today. I forgot to write it down. If I don't write something down right away, then I forget. She is having an MRI. She's uh, in a home, not an old lady by any stretch of the imagination, but she's got one of those debilitating diseases that makes your body just break down. I can't remember which it is. Maybe it's MS or something. But she called today and she says, I'm in more pain than I've ever been in my life. And she's been in a lot of pain. I, you know, we've, uh, we've uh, talked many times, but keep Lisa Bunker in prayer, please. Okay. And yet, despite being in the pain that she's in, she has not lost heart. She has not lost her uh, testimony for Christ Jesus. And she is the person that I am talking about. And that's what reminded me of this. She asked me to have the church pray. We'll do that. Um, but uh, she has continued to be faithful in the Lord despite the pains and anguishes that she has gone through physically. Okay, And if we do that, we can, even in those times, rejoice in the Lord always. So that was a good lesson right there. And thank you for reminding me of that, Lord. Okay, so um, where is that? Um, rejoice in the Lord. Okay, um, and then to go beyond the words of exhortation, grounding them solidly in the minds of those at Philippi, and thus to us, because the book of Philippians is in the Bible, he says, again, I will say, rejoice. It is more than an exhortation, but it comes out as a full-fledged command. It is our very duty as Christians. We are instructed to rejoice. Okay, and guess what? That is not unique to the New Testament, is it? Because in the book of Deuteronomy, it says it at least, I'll bet you it says it at least eight times, maybe more. I'm going to take you, I think it was Deuteronomy 12. Let me go there. And this is just one example, but it says it again and again and again. Is it Deuteronomy 12? Um, 12, 12, okay. I was looking in 11. It helps to be in the right tribe uh, chapter when you're uh, doing this. Um, you shall not eat it, dear and like. Um, offerings where the Lord okay here it is uh, 12 7 and it's going to say it several times in 12 13 14 all in that area 
12, 7. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall, it is a command, you shall rejoice in all to which you have put your hand, you and your households in which the Lord your God has blessed you. In fact, you're not to even show up if you're not rejoicing. You shall rejoice. It is a command from the Lord that when they went on these pilgrim feasts, they were not to be downers while they were there. They were to be rejoicing. Okay, once again, it says it again and again. See if you can find a couple other ones. Um, I know it said it there. It 12, says 12. 12, 12 again. Okay, let's see here. 12, uh, where are we? 12, 12. Oh, yeah, here. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. And then he qualifies it. You and your sons and your daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levite who is within your gates, since he has no portion nor inheritance with you. Okay, he says it again and again and again in the, yes. So in 18, oh, 12, 18? Okay, well, you've got a better eye than I do because you're picking that right up. Um, but you must eat them before the Lord your God in the place which the Lord your God chooses, you and your son and your daughter, your male and your female servant, and the Levite who is within your gates, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God in all to which you put your hands. Okay, he says these things, and he's not just saying, oh, okay, you know, I want you to be happy. He is commanding them, you shall rejoice. It shall be a time of celebration. The pilgrim feast, what was it? I've explained this before. I want to see if anybody of you remembers. You've got the, the feasts of the Lord. Three of them are known as Chag, which comes from a word which means to go in a circle. In other words, like you're happy, you're dancing, okay? And those pilgrim feasts picture what? Anybody remember? Our time in Christ. They picture. Jesus is the Passover. He is the fulfillment of that feast. But the Feast of Unleavened Bread is our time in Christ living sinlessly. Okay? And then you have the Feast of Weeks, You've got which is a pilgrim feast. You've got the Feast of Tabernacles, which is a pilgrim feast. These pilgrim feasts signify or represent believers' life in Christ. That's what they picture. Christ did the work, and then the people are in Christ are commanded to do certain things during these pilgrim feasts. For example, in the Pilgrim Feast of Tabernacles, they're supposed to build booths, tabernacles, and live in them, okay? That is their responsibility, picturing our lives in Christ, okay? So if you remember that, those three pilgrim feasts are our life in Christ, and he is telling them, in those feasts, you shall rejoice. And then what does Paul say right here in Philippians 4.4? 4? You shall rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And as I said, it is more than a mere exhortation, but it comes out as a full-fledged command. Because what Israel did in their lives in under you know the Lord was typical of our lives in Christ in the pilgrim feasts. Okay, if you can remember that, then the, the feasts of the Lord make all the sense in the world. If not, then you think, oh, we've got feasts that are yet to be fulfilled when Christ returns. They are done. They are fulfilled in Jesus. We're not waiting on a fulfillment of those because if we are, then Christ didn't fulfill them. And if he didn't fulfill them, then he's not the Messiah because the law is finished in Christ. Remember that, okay? Those three pilgrim feasts picture our lives in Christ. Paul is confirming that with these words right now, okay? It is to be our determined and our set purpose at all times. Commanding joy may seem impossible, 
but by adhering to his exhortations, it is not only possible, it is to be fully realized in each of us. What can the world do to us if we have our hope in something beyond this world? Nothing. It can't do anything. If your hope is outside of this world, I was out there painting, uh, things you like is gone. Uh -huh. Okay, so, uh, you know, anyway, I was taking off the sign yesterday and painting the wall today. All right, we have at the mall I take care of. There's a store that's been there since she was either the first or second person in that mall when they opened back in 1973 or four, three. Okay, well, it was it was a long time ago, and yeah, she finally has retired after all these years. And so I took the sign off of the wall and I had to paint it, and, you know, because now you've got all these, you know, it still says the name. It's just anyway, uh, yeah. So um, I uh, uh, I did that, and while I was up there. <laughs> I was standing there thinking, you know, if I fell from this ladder, I'd have paint all over the place, but I could also break my neck, right? And I thought, it doesn't bother me. You know, if I'm worried about the things I've, no, I'm just saying, if you're worried about what you're doing, then you're not gonna be effective what you're doing. But with me, I don't care. If I go up on a ladder and I fall, or if I, you know, whatever, it just doesn't bother me. You're assuming you're dead. Well, yeah, you weren't, you weren't, you were damaged. If you're going to fall out of a ladder, don't get damaged. Get dead, okay? Because Jim went through all that grief. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, the, the whole point of this is that we have something that no matter what happens in this life, we have something better waiting for us. Okay, I don't mean to be morbid about my state, but I'm just not concerned about these things. They don't concern me because I'm sitting there painting and thinking, if I fell, I'm going to be with Jesus. This is just what I was thinking. So anyway, mom's mad at me for, she she wants to outlive, she wants me to outlive her. Is that, yeah, that's, that's that's what she wants. That's the that's normal natural. course of events. Yeah, yeah. That. that's what she wants. Okay, well, anyway. Okay, so we are instructed to rejoice. It is to be our determined and set purpose at all times. What can the world, here it is, what can the world do to us? And the world isn't just people, the world is our situation, whatever it is, painting on a wall. What can the world do to us if we have our hope in something beyond this world? It can't do anything, so why worry about it? This is the intent and the purpose of Paul's words to us. Life application, rejoice in the Lord always. Absolutely, that is what we are to do, yes. 14 times he says joy or rejoice. That's right, this, this is the epistle of joy. That's yeah. absolutely right. 14 times he said he says it. Now we've got eight minutes. Can we do one more? We're going to try. Four and or five. Joshua says the joy of the Lord is your, your strength. strength. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely right. Are you going to? Yes. Okay. You can do that anytime you want. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Okay. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Okay. The word Paul uses for gentleness is an adjective, which gives the idea of being fair and reasonable. Okay, let your gentleness be fair and reasonable. We should relax our overly strict standards in order to keep a spirit of fellowship between one another. Instead of just demanding the letter of the law, we should apply the spirit and the intent of it when dealing with others. The noun form of the word is used when speaking of Jesus in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 1. Now I, Paul, myself have, am pleading with you by meekness and gentleness of Christ. Okay, so by Paul's direction, the gentle spirit should be known, as he says, to all men. 
Okay, what did you say it said it's something a little differently? To uh, all, just all. to all. Okay, just to all. This one says to all men. What this means is that our, and that's probably the NIV, isn't it? It is. Okay, they kind of get rid of the masculine there because, and I've said this before, but you'll see variations and then some translations. Once they do this, I won't read it anymore. But they'll have it, you know, uh, brethren, 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 every, you know, new edition, uh, every new copyrighted edition they have. And then eventually they say brothers and sisters or something. Once they do that, I'll never read that version again because they've gone the way of PC. Everything in the Greek and in the Hebrew is in the masculine when speaking to people. It doesn't mean that there aren't women there, but that's just how the language works. And that's how it, the English language has been all along. We just say brethren, and it includes everybody in the congregation. And all of a sudden, people start feeling left out, and we've got to include women. And so they changed the Bible to read brothers and sisters, okay? It's already implied in there. There was no need to make that change. And because they make that change, it is there's one reason for it and one reason only. It is political correctness. And once that happens, I'm done with that version. So there you go. And so that one, they just dropped men out of there. What? Just all. Oh, well, that's fine, but I mean, if it used to say, and I don't know what it used to say, but if it ever said all men, and I saw that, I'd be like, I'm done with this, okay? But they may have just said all, all along. I don't know. Anyway, um, by Paul's direction, this gentle spirit should be known to all men. What this means is that our outward conduct is to apply equally to both the saved and the unsaved. If we have an overbearing attitude towards the lost, they will certainly remain lost. If we cannot be fair and reasonable, why would anyone want to then join together with us? And if we treat the unsaved with such care, how much more should we act in this manner towards believers, right? And how often is it that Christians tear one another apart instead of seeking harmony? Uh, somebody posted a video, I think I might have mentioned this once before, but it's good to be reminded of it. There was a video of two deer out in like the Serengeti, okay, and they're fighting, they got their, their horns. Okay, and eventually, it's only about a minute long clip, but these two, whatever they are, Ibis or, you know, they're, they're out there, they're doing their thing in the middle of the Serengeti. And off in the distance, you start to see movement. And these deer are just sitting there fighting and fighting and there's movement. And they're still fighting and they're not paying attention to what's going on over there. And this lion comes and takes and completely devours one of them. The other one got away. Okay, the lesson is while we are fighting each other, Satan is devouring us. Okay, it was a great, great lesson. Okay, but here we go. How often it is that Christians tear one another apart instead of seeking harmony. And such an attitude towards one another does not go unnoticed to the unsaved. To finish the verse, who was it? Gandhi, I think it said, uh, uh, Christianity would be such a great religion if it wasn't for the Christians. Yeah. I know that's a paraphrase, but that's what he said. <laughs> but that's his problem in not checking out Christianity. Instead, he just focused on the Christians. Because if you're going to do that, you're going to fail every time. Did you write about Charles Wesley today? I may have, or yesterday. We, we make town, it quick. The, the town was opposed to what his preaching, and they came to see him, and he goes out with his gentle spirit, and all of them. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. That wasn't me. Oh, that wasn't no. you? But I've read that before. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I've read that today yeah. Somebody. Yeah, I don't think that was me that wrote that one. Okay. But anyway, I've mentioned Charles Wesley, but um, okay. Um, okay. Uh, what's that? I think that was one of the, it came out of there, I believe. 
Oh, I don't know, maybe. Last week. Oh, yeah, that may have been. It may have been from this commentary from before, but not next. Okay, uh, to finish the verse, he says, The Lord is at hand. He uses a Greek translation of the Aramaic term, anybody? Maranatha, which means Lord come. In this, he is probably referring to the imminent return of the Lord, meaning that there is no time when we should not expect him. At the same time, he very well could be indicating that the Lord is near, being present at all times for those in his church, but that ought to be obvious on the surface. In either sense, the thought is that our conduct is being monitored and will be judged. It is clearly evident that this is the case. Okay, so life application. Our conduct toward others, both the saved and the unsaved, needs to be carefully considered. How we act can lead to eternity-changing decisions for those who see our behavior. Let us, each of us, remember this, considering that we too were once lost, but have been given the blessing of coming to know Jesus. Let us not be the cause of any to not have this same opportunity. Good words. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what it says to us and the lessons it teaches to us. Thank you that we uh, have a guide which is for our good. And when we stray from it, we are the ones that will get harmed. But it doesn't affect you, but you've done it because you created us. You know what works for us. You know what doesn't work. And because you love us enough to give us this word, help us to be wise and to apply it to our lives. And Lord, I would certainly pray that this nation would learn that lesson quickly and turn back to your word because we are so quickly devolving from what is right and moral, even not as Christians, but just as a nation itself, that your judgment must be coming quickly. Help us to turn back, Lord. I pray it. I don't think it's going to happen, but you are the one that is sovereign over that decision. It may be a part of your will that this nation does depart. Whatever it is, we just would pray that it would happen, that we could humble ourselves as a nation and come back to you. May it be so, and may it be in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, the reason why I said that is, I don't know if you saw it, but the Marine Corps is celebrating Pride Month with yeah. rainbow bullets. There we rainbow go. bullets. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that in the uh, early bird update. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So do they kill as well as the other ones? Yeah.